Welcome to the Maximus Podcast with your hosts, Bobby Maximus and Joe Sabula. We have a very special guest today, a personal friend of mine from the First Forum world, Mark Joe. Mark, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here with you and Joe. Um, but yeah, man, I'm good. <clears throat> good, good. So I, I just want to hop into this because I actually have so many questions for you that I wanted to ask you on a personal level, but I thought the podcast would be a great place to do it. Yeah. So... I want to preface this by saying uh, I try to be a non-judgmental person as much as humanly possible. Now, that's impossible to a degree because everyone's judgmental to a point. And I've had a lot of friends that have, you know, been in prison or, you know, been incarcerated, things like that. But then I saw you talking about it on your Instagram. And there was two kind of things that, that sucked me into your story a little bit. Number one was just talking about how a lot of people don't know what it's like to have their freedom taken away, but you know what it's like, like you've experienced that firsthand. And the second was how difficult it was for you and how scary it was to, you know, admit publicly that you were in prison. And it got me to thinking that my experiences with you, uh, you've always been exceptionally kind to me. I I take note of how people treat other people. Uh, You're extremely kind to other people. You're gracious. Uh, You're a hard-ass worker. You're extremely physically fit. Like you're a person that I look up to in many ways as a human being. And it, there's kind of a disconnect with, wow, this guy went to prison. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, I, I never would have thought you went to prison, but again, I don't think people that went to prison are, bad people. So I'm like, I just wanted to explore it a little bit with you and, and talk about it because obviously you've, you know, been through a lot and made a lot of yourself. And I think it's inspiring. So. Yeah, man. Uh, first of all, the, the whole, you know, I never would have thought that you would have been in prison or a man, I could never picture you in prison. I get that so often. And it's, I just chuckle at it now because it's almost like, you know, I want to be kind of like a, a smart guy and be like, well, well, what does a guy that went to prison look like? You know, yeah. like, like I don't know, show me because I, I can't show you, you know, um, and, uh, you know, and so people are surprised. And one thing that I always tell people when I get that is, you know, I, I was the exact same guy today, you know, that I was back then, um, you know, I, I, or I am rather uh, just in a different sense, my morals and my values have evolved, but I have always been a conscientious person. I've always, you know, adhered to my moral compass. And what I was doing at the time, I truly didn't believe that it was wrong, you know? So like it it, it was illegal, but I didn't believe that it was wrong, right? So there's a difference there. And, uh, and I'm still that way to this day, you know, like just because something is a rule, and, and I mean, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but just because something is a rule doesn't necessarily mean that I believe that it's the right thing, you know, or the wrong thing. So um, so that that is one thing I, I usually respond to. But the first thing that you touched on um, and I'll and I'll dig into the taking uh, freedom away. Right. Like people, especially this is something that's a hot topic in America right now. That's why I made that post. That was arguably the most viewed circulated video that I've ever posted, you know, so it's cool. Like that, that's why I posted it. I wanted to, I'm not trying to coerce anybody. I just want to shed some perspective on the situation that we're all in, you know, because freedom is a hot topic right now. And, and what I, what I told people in that video and, and also what I experienced is that, you know, when, when I, when I say like, you know, our freedoms are being taken away or, you know, the, the image that people conjure up in their mind when they think about losing their freedom is like sitting in a in a prison cell, you know, and it's just cold and dark and you're just in there and it's just concrete. Right. And and while that is true, um, you know, when you're actually in there. When you're actually in prison and you've and you've lost your freedoms. It's, it's really interesting because, you know, I had my own personal property in prison, right? This is just, it's just such a fascinating concept. I had my own personal property, um, but only as much as they said I could have. And I also had my own personal space, right? But only the space that they gave me. Um, I had my own food, 
you know, uh, that my family provided for me, but only as much as they let me get every month. Um, and so they give you just enough personal property, just enough space, just enough food, just enough responsibility. I had a job that I went to every day, but they give you just enough to create an illusion that you're free. I, I will say this and people listening will think that I'm freaking crazy, but when you're in prison for long enough, you actually start to forget that you're in prison. This becomes your whole world. There is no, there is no other. There's just what you do every day. There's just the people that live here every day. Like that's, that's all that exists because that's all that you see. Like, and uh, you know, there's that saying out of sight, out of mind. And so when I, what I, and this is the point that I posted that video for is the only time that I actually remembered that I wasn't free was when I would wake up. I've had this habit for years and years and years of waking up really early. This is when I started waking up really early. It was in prison because in there, it's so loud all the time. Like, there's just, you gotta think, there's just constantly guys yelling and arguing, all the things. So I would wake up at 4 a.m. every morning only because that was the only time that it was quiet. That was the only time I could get any peace of mind. So I'd wake up first thing in the morning and I would sit there and drink my cup of coffee. And there would be mornings where all I wanted to do was go outside and go for a walk, but I couldn't because I wasn't free, right? So all the other time throughout the day, on the weekend, what I would, I had this illusion that I was free because they, they give you just enough to feel like you have these things. Um, and, and I posted that video because I wanted people to, to, to really think about that um, because I'm also a student of history, you know, and um, there, has, there have been times in the world, in history, when, um, you know, bad things have happened to large groups of people. And it, and it has been sort of a situation like that where you still have freedom, but there's um, conditions, you know, there's limited freedoms that, and, and for a little while I was worried, and, and I don't think anybody really knows what's going on in our country right now, I, and I don't claim to know, but for a little while I was worried because it started to feel like I was back in prison. It started to feel like, hey, you can go here, but only under these conditions, or you can, you know, whatever the case may be, there was limited freedoms being dished out. And I'm like, wait a minute, I've been here before. I've been here before, you know, and I don't want to go back to living in an illusion of being free. I never, ever, ever, ever want to go back to that. And so I posted that and I started talking about that. And, and, and then, you know, to your point, you know, following up that video, I did talk about how scary it was for me to admit publicly um that i'd been to prison it was it was fucking terrifying man i'm sorry i don't know if i can swear <laughs> yeah no, oh, no, no dude, listen, that's fine listen, we we swear all the time and and one of the things that i can imagine it being terrified because like i said i have a lot of friends that have been in jail i have friends that did bad things i have friends that you know do good things as much as we want to say we're not judgmental every motherfucker on this planet is judgmental to a degree that's a, that's a human survival thing right like you you have to be able to sort of assess things at a at a visual level it's just it's not always correct you can't believe it all the time mm -hmm. uh, I'll, yeah, I'll give you i'll give you i'll give you an example here mark just so you know i also did time in prison okay. uh, but they let me out at the end of the day because i worked there i was a ceo for a number of years <laughs> so so what, what you're talking about this conditional freedom that's very very true i worked with people at a lot of different levels from uh, minimum security to maximum mm -hmm. um and throughout my my journey as a ceo i mean every level of security you're at is just a different set of conditional freedoms. Cause even the guys in the deepest, darkest hole still have their life and still have this sense of their own individual freedom. Uh, and, and it's, it's ridiculous how restrictive it can get. I know there were guys who had no clothes, like no bedding. And the only thing they got was every two weeks, they got one envelope with a stamp on it, but they would stomp around their cell talking about how that was their one inalienable, right? An envelope. And yeah. they still that that was like their whole like I'm fine I can last in prison because I still have my freedom because I still have this yeah 
Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And yet, and yet, you know, the guys that, that uh, stayed out of trouble and played the game and followed the rules and like, you know, they had jobs or there, there are people who are in a program, like they're going to school, they're getting an education or whatever. The guys that kind of played along, like you can actually be fairly comfortable behind bars. Like it's not, it's not, this. it's not the Ritz Carlton or anything by any means, but it's like, you do find a rhythm to that life. And you do find like, you, you, you have relationships with the people that you work with on the day to day. You have relationships with the CEOs. They're just like another coworker. A lot of times, you know, the, the swampers on the units I worked on, they were just coworkers for the most part. Uh, and so it is, it is a weird sort of like levels of reality kind of piled it, on each other. It really is. The human mind is incredible. I'm telling you, like, this is a, it's just a lesson that I've learned is that, you know, you will adapt to whatever environment you're consistently exposed to. And, and it's just, it's people don't, you know, and again, you know, I, I'm trying to stay away from sort of like, but political topics, right. Cause I don't like going down that rabbit hole, but, but people don't realize how malleable we are. You know, like, like you've seen it. You're, you were a CEO. Those guys, just like you said, there's guys in there that are comfortable. I've literally seen people that were homeless in living in New York city that would go to jail on purpose in the winter so that they would get three hot meals a day and a roof over their head and things like that. Like we are incredibly malleable to where you can, you can be comfortable in there. And and I've got, I've experienced that. I've experienced it where you're just like, Hey man, you know what? I, I would wake up every morning. And this is something, this is about the time my life really started to change, but I would wake up every morning and I would pray. And the first thing that I would say is, man, thank you. You know, like, and I would acknowledge that there are millions of people in the world right now, you know, that would give their left arm to be where I am right now. Yeah, like, yeah, three, for real. Day, hot shower waiting on me. I can go make a cup of coffee right now. Like it's, it's scary how comfortable they make it. But right now living in the, in the scenario that we're in, it's like people are getting mad at each other for, resisting whatever it is these blanket you know restrictions or you know curfews and all kinds of things you have to show a card to go into this restaurant or whatever it is and it's it's the people i just i what i'm trying to do in this scenario that we're in is show people that you know freedom is 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 something that you have you've got to be really slow to give it up like it's it's got to be a really good reason to give it up you know because you'll give it up and you won't even notice you yeah. just you just won't even notice like i have been there and i and i can tell you that by the time you lose your freedom you wouldn't even notice that you've lost it it's very hard to go backwards and so you know, this, this scenario, again, that, that's really what provoked me to make that initial post was, I, I don't care either way, you know, and I try to make that clear to people, I'm very pro-freedom, you do what's best for you. But, and, and, I, and again, not trying to make this political at all, but, you know, just be careful about giving up your freedoms or, or even making people feel, shaming people for not wanting to give up. Right. Because I, I can tell, I mean, even, even the way you're trying to present this, it is a very like razor thin line to walk where you thin. don't, you don't fall into a political camp somewhere and people just like lose their shit on you. Uh, I, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's, it's like, number one, appreciate the freedom that you do have and protect that freedom and be aware that even when you're saying, uh, because this has been my thing too, is you know, we're willing to agree to these terms as a society. We're willing to agree, uh, and again, not to get political, but if we all agree, we're going to wear masks for a while. Like, mm-hmm. we can't force that on people. We can't mandate that on people because we need to cherish their sense of freedom as well. Freedom. And it's hard to use something that's not already politically charged as an example, because again, people will lose their shit and you can't have an honest to God eye to eye conversation with people. So I I think you're, you know, coming out as a former resident of an institution is a really good way to sort of broach the subject and just say, hey, unless you've had something like this taken away from you, you don't understand how precious it is. And so from my perspective, let's talk about this as reasonable humans and not fall into hate camps over it. Yes, that's it. That's what, that's why. And, and I've had to use my experience and, and I've never, I would have never imagined that I had to use my experience being in prison yeah. to talk about this, you know, but 
here we are. And I have that perspective. So I'm going to share it with you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, now that, that brings up another really interesting direction for this conversation, because most of the guys that I know who've gotten out are trying to put that part of their life behind them. They don't want to acknowledge it. You know, they, they've got a hard enough time moving on and getting jobs. How has your experience affected you in that respect? And does making that more public make it more difficult for you or does it not matter at this point? Um, you know, I would like to think that people are, you know, um, hmm. <laughs> it's a good this, question, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. So it's, it's not a very specific, it's very broad. So, um, I would, I'll start by saying I'm a hundred percent sure that people that don't know me as well personally, or people that are not like you two, not like Bobby, that are open-minded, you know, to the idea that this man is still a respectable, whatever human. There are certainly people that judge me instantly. And um, something that I've learned, I don't know, at some point along the way, maybe I learned this from Andy, the, the, you know, the, my boss here, but um, you don't have to be for everyone. You know, that, that's, that's just the thing that I've learned. And, and, and a friend of mine says, she has this saying, it's some will, some won't, so what? And I apply it in a number of different scenarios, but it also applies here. You know, I, one of the things that gave me the, the key, it, it unlocked the opportunity for me to change the direction of my life, was you have to take ownership of it. You have to take ownership of where you're at and, 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 and the fact that you're where you're at because of you. Like that, that was it. Like I went to prison for drugs, drug possession. And um, in the previous like five years, okay. And not even telling my whole life story, which I, my upbringing was rough, but a lot of people have a rough upbringing. But in the previous five years, you know, I, I had been taken away from uh, my, my mother, uh, put with, in foster care. My, my older brother, who was the only person that I still had in my life that I like cherished, you know, he died suddenly, you know, when I was 16, um, I was a, a, a good basketball player and I was being recruited by colleges and everything like that. I, I was struggling so much emotionally and um, that I literally walked off the court at halftime of a game and threw away my, my chance of playing college basketball. Um, I, I was living on my own at 16. My twin brother had gotten arrested in, in a different crime that put him in prison for 10 flat, which when you're 17 years old, 10 years sounds like my brother's gone for the rest of my life, you know? And so now I just lost my big brother, lost my twin brother. I just was hopeless, man. I was in a, a really bad spot. And I was in prison saying, oh, my brother died. I was taken away from my mom. I grew up in foster care. My twin brother's in prison, blah, blah, poor me, poor me. Yeah, yeah. You, blame, you blame your circumstances for where you're at. And, and this is a universal thing. It's not just people that end up in prison, everybody. You blame your circumstances, your upbringing, all these things for where you're at. And I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, no, motherfucker, you're where you're at because of the decisions that you made. You know. And when I did that, was when my whole life changed. So then fast forwarding and answering your question is like, when I came home, I, I knew from the very beginning, it took me a year to tell anybody, but I knew from the beginning that I had to, because I'd gone through like the programs. I did like the AANA, even though I've never drank, you know, but I went through it all because I wanted to be productive. And when I, when I started being more open-minded to personal development and stuff like that, I was open to doing anything. So I'd done that stuff and I saw how valuable it was to just own it. When you own it, it doesn't have power over you anymore. Now you have the power, right? So I knew coming home that like, dude, I was going to have to talk about this. I was going to have to tell my story. I was going to have to own it and keep owning it because as soon as you stop talking about it and as soon as you you try to put it in your past, guess what? Now you're fucking scared that somebody's going to bring it up. No, yeah. I'm never going to live in fear that, oh, what if my boss finds out someday that I spent five and a half years in prison? Then everybody's going to look at me differently. No, I'm going to put it out there on the front end and some will, some won't. So what? And you know what? We can weed through everybody right now. And if you're not for me, cool. I'm not for everyone either. But the people that are left, okay, cool. I'm gonna work on you people. Like that's 
that's the way that I kind of saw it. And so, no, it's never held me back. It's never been a hindrance. Um, some people do ask me, they reach out to me on social media and they say, hey, man, how was it trying to get a job? Listen, worry about being valuable. Don't worry about what your record says. Worry about being valuable. You know what I did for the last two years that I was in prison? I fucking read every single day. I meditated, I journaled, I worked on developing, and I didn't read James Patterson. You know, I was reading psychology, sales, leadership. I was reading things that were going to give me skills that I could then come home and use and be valuable in any company, anywhere. You know, so that uh, it's never held me back. Just to, to answer your question and, um, and, and the fear the fear of, of opening up, I feel like it's just a natural thing. You know, you just, it's yeah. your ego. It's your yeah, ego. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Nobody wants to admit that like, hey, this is where I came from or like, you know, I'm not perfect. But the more that I own that, like the more people reach out to me and they say, man, thank you so much for sharing that. Like, I don't know how you do it, you know? So it, it's so freeing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. that you, you do have to like own that part of your life and you have to just say, yeah, that happened. Because anything in your life, I don't care how, how, you know, small it is and compared to, to having done a bit in, in prison, uh, anything you're trying to hide ends up, like you said, having so much power over you because it starts affecting the way that you interact with people. And then you actually look like you're trying to hide something and then it inevitably is going to come out. And then you look like an idiot because you were trying to hide it and you probably shouldn't have. So, amen. I, I, I think that's exactly the right attitude to have. So let me ask you a question, Mark, because there's two things that I see going on in society today. One Everyone posts about how you shouldn't care what other people think. My sports psychologist used to work with me on the 10 words that'll ruin your life or what will other people say and what will other people think? And that's like one trend I see. People talk about it all the time. The other thing, people talk about redemption, but they use it in terms, they're going to redeem themselves from a bad workout. They're going to show their ex-girlfriend that they're valuable, like really bullshit, trivial stuff that doesn't matter. You have a genuine life story that to a degree is a tale of redemption. And you've also had to learn, I mean, the hard way not to care what people think. Where did you find that kind of personal courage? Have you always had that? Has that always been you? Or when you came out of prison, did something happen that forced you to adopt this way of thinking? No, it wasn't when I came home from prison. It was in prison. And no, I haven't always been that way. Nobody's that, you know, we, we just, we come up in a society where you are worried about what other people think. I feel like that's just, it's, I think everybody goes through that and most people get stuck in it. But this is actually one of my favorite pieces of my story to talk about. <clears throat> the hardest, the hardest thing I ever had to do was be a good guy in prison. Like he, he Joe will be able to attest to this. So for the first couple of years that I was in prison, I was fucking bad. Like I, just to put it out there, I went to prison with a four flat and I ended up doing five and a half. Okay. So, uh, I, and I, I was in prison in New York state where like the gangs run everything. Okay. And, and I'm very anti-gang. I hate that shit. You know, um, I don't like teaming up on people and, you know, like I'm just, I, I wasn't brought up like that. And, and so I got in a lot of fights but also, also, I'm pretty smart, you know, I, I hate to toot my own horn, but I'm pretty smart. So I controlled a lot of the drugs. I controlled a lot of the gambling for the first couple of years that I was in, in prison, no matter where I went. And they don't like that either because they like to control that stuff. All right. But I'm smarter than they are. So so that's how it ended up. And uh, and so for the first three years, I was this guy that I was the cool guy. Like I was the guy like I was I, I was cool. And all the all the gangsters, they they at least were cordial with me because they had to be. They they were interested in the things that I I had going on. And so the the good guys they didn't fucking trust me. I was one of the bad guys. But then one day, like literally, flip of a coin, I was like, you know what? I'm done. Nope, I, I'm not the guy for the gambling. I'm not the guy for the drugs anymore. So. Andy and I talk about this, and, 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 and I don't know what else to call it other than whenever you decide to make a drastic life change, okay, you, you have to go through this period of like social isolation, all right? This period is where your old friends are not your friends anymore, okay? The gangsters, 
you know, as soon as I started talking about being good and going home and all this, now I wasn't cool anymore. Okay. And then also I didn't have the drugs. I didn't have the, you couldn't come to me for the bets. So we had nothing in common. We had no reason to associate with one another. They wrote me off, but the good guys, they hadn't yet accepted me yet. The whole time I'd been a guy that you don't fuck with. So you go through this period where your old friends are not your friends anymore. And your new friend, you haven't found any new friends yet. And you're fucking by yourself. You're more lonely than you've ever been in your entire life. And this is the number one reason why I think most people don't successfully complete a lifestyle change. This is the number one reason because that period of social isolation, that loneliness is fucking unbearable. Like it is the, it is unbearable. And I'm telling you, like, I think we talk about this a lot internally. I think that humans have like one really basic need and it's a need to feel like they belong to like a group, a community, whatever it is. And you don't have a soul. And, uh, and that's really difficult. And, and I just had to, I had this saying that I used to repeat to myself every fucking day that was, and, and I always used to say, this is what makes the difference between you and them. This is what makes the difference between you and them. Like every day they would be out in the TV room watching music videos and movies and, and stuff like this. And I would be in my, in my, in my bunk reading a book, you know, and I would want to go out there and play poker or whatever it was, because that was the stuff that I used to do. And it was so hard not to do it. But I'd say, you know what? No, this is what makes a difference between you and them. This is what, and, and outside, you know, all the guys in the yard, they're clicking up and, and, and I, and I would want to hang out with them. They would call me over. They're trying to tempt me into smoking some weed or whatever it was that I used to do. And I'd be like, nah, nah, this is what makes a difference between you and them. I would repeat that to myself constantly. And it was so hard, Bobby, like, like I'm telling you, it, it, words can't do it justice because that human craving to belong, to have some friends and some whatever, some social interaction is so strong. Um, and I had nobody. So that was the hardest part of my journey, but it made me bulletproof. I mean, now I don't give a, I don't care at all what you think. I don't care what you have to say. I don't need your approval. I don't share my goals with anybody. You know why? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter whether you think I could do it or not. I used to share my goals with people back then. And it was like, hey, I'm going to go home and I'm going to, this was my five-year plan. You know, I'm going to go and I'm going to become a trainer and I'm going to open a gym and I'm going to have a massage therapy studio and blah, blah, blah. And I want to, and I want to just help people. And, and I got laughed at. And you know what? I did my five-year plan in fucking eight months, you know, like that's, and so it just taught me, like, it doesn't matter what anybody, and I also had this other saying, it's like, hey, I can only live my life. When I started changing my life, I also realized that I started having an opinion about how other people live their lives. And I didn't like that in myself. You know, I was like, hey, man, don't you see your potential? Don't you see you could do this? Don't you see you're, do, you're messing up? You're throwing this away. You know what? I never fucking listened to anybody when they said that to me. People are going to change when they want to change. And so I had to like really get rid of my own opinion. Not only did I become immune to yours, but I had to realize that like, hey, I'm doing the same thing that I don't like other people doing to me. So I had to get rid of that as well. And I started saying, man, I can only live my life. I can, everybody here is literally just doing the best that they can. Nobody's intentionally throwing their chance away. They're literally making decisions that feel like the best decision at the time for them. That's what they're doing. Yeah, and, I just, and I had to keep repeating to myself, no, Mark, you can only live your life. So in that moment, when everybody would look at me and say, you're a fucking nerd, or, you know, now you're a good guy, or, oh, you're a fraud, you're just going to go back to the street and be selling drugs in no time. I'd say, you know what, man, I can only live my life, you know, I'm going I'm to just make decisions that are best for me. So, Bobby, it was something that I had to, I, dude, it, it was, it was the hardest thing I've ever done was get what, through that. What your switch, Mark? Like, was there, was there a book that you were reading? Was there something you, like, what, where did you decide, you know what, I'm completely changing directions with my life? I wish there was a fucking book. I'm going to write the book and then become a billionaire, you know, but uh, no, nah, man, it's a, so, so I never actually decided that I was going to change my life. What I decided, I oh, mean, I got to give contact. So, so I caught, I caught another bid. Uh, you guys could uh, extrapolate that. Right. So I, I went to prison with four years. I got caught in prison with some prison contraband, um, just some, uh, some drugs. 
And in, in New York state, that's not a big deal. There's a lot of violent prisons. So usually you don't get additional charges for getting caught with drugs. You just go to the box and spend a bunch of time in solitary confinement and they let you out. And, um, and so I was never really worried about that. It hadn't occurred to me that that was a possibility uh, because I wasn't like a violent person. I've never been violent. You know, I don't like hurting people. Um, so I got caught with some drugs and all of a sudden one day <clears throat> I'm in the box, uh, which is a whole other thing to talk about, but I'm in the box and all of a sudden the guard comes to my cell and he says, hey, Joe, get dressed. You're, you're going for a trip. And now, dude, I'll never forget this day. This day, it gives me chills. But he says, man, get dressed. You're going for a trip. I'm like, going for a trip? Where the fuck am I going for a trip? You don't go. When you're in the box, they just leave you there. You're just in a yeah. hole. You just stay there. You don't go anywhere. And I'm like, going for a trip? Where am I going? And so they open the, the, the door and they come in. They're trying to put the chains on me and stuff. And I just started fucking shaking. Like, I started shaking. I'm like, what do you mean? See, where, where are we going? He's like, don't worry, man. You're going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And I'm, and I just knew, I'm like, nah, it's not going to be all right. Like, I'm like, no, the fuck it's not, man. It's not going to be all right. Where are we going? Like, where are we going? He wouldn't tell me we go. It turns out they took me to the local state police, booked me, fingerprinted me, just like I had just gotten arrested on the street, rearrested me in prison, charged me with possession of prison, prison contraband, brought me back to my cell. Um, and I, and I, and I remember I was just pacing. You know, I'm in the box already, so I don't have a phone. I can't call my family or anything like that. All I can do is write a letter. And I was sitting there trying to think of how I was going to explain this to my family, my parents. I was close. I was, I was literally like less than a year from, do, from finishing my, four, my original sentence. And they're looking forward to me coming home in a couple months. And now I have to try to explain to my parents and my, and my, and my fiance at the time, that now, no, I'm, I'm not coming home in a couple months because I just got caught doing the same fucking thing that I came to prison for. Wow, yeah. And, and I was pacing in my cell and I was trying to think of a story of a fucking lie. I was, I was like gonna tell them all oh, the guards planted on me or it wasn't mine or they just found it in my area and they just put, put whatever. I was trying to think of a story that I could tell them. And I just had this moment where I was like, no, Mark, like, you're a grown fucking man. Like you're, you're, you're not a kid anymore. You know, you, you don't make mistakes, you make decisions and your decisions have foreseeable consequences. Like, you know, that that's a potential outcome when you make that decision. And so what is lying going to do? You know, what are you lying for? Because you made the decision, just own it. And, and I decided in that moment, I didn't decide that I was going to change my life. I decided that I was never going to lie again. I said, I'm done lying. Like from now on, if I make a decision, I'm just going to, I'm just going to own it, you know? And, and that's what I did. I wrote that letter and I said, Hey man, this is what happened. I fucked up, you know, and, and I got caught with some drugs and, you know, now I got some more time and, and, and I take it to the extreme, like in prison, that was a little bit risky because, you know, you get asked a question from a guard, you know, you don't tell them anything, but I, 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 took it to the extreme. I don't fucking lie, you know? And, and so what happened from making that commitment was that when I got out, every time I go in to go do something that I could get in trouble for, I'm like, fuck, am I going to want to own this? Like, am I going to want to tell my parents, you know, that if I, if it goes bad, because they always have foreseeable consequences, am I going to want to own this? And I, and it would deter me from making that decision. And one decision at a time, I just, I just wouldn't do those things anymore. Like, am I going to want to own it? Am I going to want to? And, and the decision to stop lying led me to behavior change. And it led me to, okay, same thing. Like, okay, now I'm not spending my time gambling all day. Well, what am I doing? Well, I started reading. Well, I, I genuinely enjoy reading. So I just naturally gravitated to that. It was a better alternative. I didn't have to socialize with anybody. So now all of a sudden the behavior change and, you know, it led to me discovering new ideas and just a lot of personal development books and, and et cetera. And, and so it led down the rabbit hole of me changing my life. But that was the defining moment was, you know, trying to figure out what am I going to tell my parents and then just deciding like, no, I'm done lying. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to tell a story. I'm just going to tell them the truth. I want to, I, I love that. Uh, I, I love what you said about like, you're an adult, you make decisions now. I think that's a really good soundbite for this episode, for sure. Uh, but I do want to lighten things up a little bit because you were athletic before you went in. 
Uh, and a lot of folks are really, really interested in what you can do behind bars to maintain your, your fitness. What, what was your regimen? Like, uh, how, how were you on food? How were you on training? What, what, what were you capable of? What did you have access to? Um, it just depends on whether you're in the box or not, which most people, I guess, don't have to worry about that too much, but I did. I spent almost half of my time in prison in the box. Uh, I, I actually was thinking about this the other day. And the truth is my, my life and my routine, it honestly looked a lot like 75 hard. What most people would know as 75 hard. Mm-hmm. That's what it looked like for me. Like that when I was in general population, like, okay. And, and it's so funny because the first time I met Andy Frisella, you know, he had asked me about 75 hard. Hey, have you tried 75 hard or whatever? And I laughed and I remember saying, dude, I've done like 400 hard. Like what do you, and he didn't like it at all. 75 is for chumps, man. Like he didn't didn't like it at all. Um, And I was joking, obviously like 75 hard didn't exist back then, but it's just so funny. Like I'm doing 75 hard right now. That's why I got this gallon of water or this half gallon of water. But it's so funny how, how, how strong the parallel is. Um, So, so anyway, what I would do, um, is I didn't know anything about fitness and nutrition going in. Like, yes, I was an athlete, but people have this common misconception that just because you're an athlete, you know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. You're just, you just been playing ball your whole life. So I didn't know anything. The only thing that I knew was that drinking water was good for you. So I, I, I tell this story a lot, actually, you know, because I still work in the health and fitness space, but that's where I started. Like, I didn't know anything else. So I said, you know what? Okay, cool. I'm not going to drink anything but water and black coffee. I'm going to cut all the Kool-Aid and the crystal light out. And I did that. And you know what? I, my digestion, you know, started, I noticed some changes. My digestion improved. My energy levels improved. I started feeling better. It's amazing what drinking enough water every day does, right? So that kind of like whets your appetite for those positive changes. Whenever you see the, the fruit of the change, you know, you're like, okay, cool. What else can I do? And that's what, that's what happened with me. So I started reading a little bit. Um, you know, I learned a little bit about the role that protein plays and, 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 and just, and I didn't, um, know like how to calculate my macros or how much food I should be eating. So I started looking at the serving sizes on things. And, um, as I'm sure that, you know, you know, I, I used to, I, I was able to get instant rice and, you know, I had canned chicken and canned tuna. My, I literally would eat almost the same thing every single day because I didn't know to do anything else. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to eat one bag of this instant rice because that's what it says as a serving size. I'm going to eat one can of, of tuna or chicken with it. Um, and then I would go to, I would go to the yard and I would actually, I would lift weights uh, once a day. And then I would go and uh, outside for a walk a second time a day, usually. Um, and then in between, I would just sit in my, in my, in my cube and I would, uh, and I would uh, either read or write or whatever it was. Um, and then I got into yoga. I started, I, I've mentioned earlier in the podcast, how I used to wake up first thing in the morning and I would wake up and eventually my routine looked like I would wake up and I would do 30 minutes of yoga every morning. I taught myself how to do yoga out of this book. Like it just out of a book, you know, so people give me so many excuses. And Bobby knows this. They give you so many excuses in the fitness industry for why they can't, you know, improve in whatever way they want to improve but it's like man the resources are there you just have to do it and that's i did i was lucky i didn't have anything else to do so that's what i did um and i didn't get like like i didn't gain weight i've always been a hard gainer so i still came home and you know 150 pounds or whatever it was um but i i did get in pretty good shape when i was doing yoga every day i felt amazing you know i was lifting weights in the afternoon doing yoga in the morning um, but yeah, I, I think guys in there have a little bit of an advantage when it comes to changing their body physically, because they literally don't have anything else to yeah. do. Yeah. They're just eating and working out and sleeping, which is the recipe, you know, <laughs> but maybe, maybe that's the story. How, how do I, how do I put on size? How do I get Jack? I say, eat, <laughs> eat, exercise and sleep a lot. You don't need a job. You don't need relationships. And, yeah. and then, like you said, yeah, I mean, maybe your nutrition isn't ideal, you know, but it was consistent. And so any change that you made in that, you were able to track some kind of a feeling. So there's something to be said for that. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that, Mark. One of my personal mentors, a guy named Sly, uh, he was a really, really good wrestler. 
and uh, Sly taught me a lot of stuff, probably a lot of stuff that he shouldn't have, but um, he was always in tremendous physical condition. And he was a dude that woke up jacked, lived off Coca-Cola and Snickers bars. Anyway, he uh, went away for some stuff, some pretty violent stuff. And uh, when he came out, we trained together again. And I was like, what the hell have you been doing? Like you were a freak before. What the, what the fuck's going on right now? Like, what did, did they feed you steroids in prison? Like what's going on? And he literally said to me, he goes, no, man. He's like, this is the only time in my life that I've got three squares a day and slept eight hours a night. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, That's really? Good. Okay. That's the recipe. Like that was the secret. He's like, everything just, he's like, yeah, I did some burpees. I did some Holy Trinity, which was like push-ups, pull-ups, dips. I did some squats and stuff, but he's like three squares a day, eight hours a night. And he's like, that changed my life. And I was like, damn. All right. So ever since then, for me, it's been like sleep's non-negotiable. Healthy eating's non-negotiable. Your water's non-negotiable. Like you take care of that stuff. It's shocking how easy fitness falls into place. Like it doesn't even matter what you're doing at that point. Like you said, you yoga and some push-ups, and you're like fucking good to go. I felt better than I've ever felt in my whole life, literally doing yoga and push-ups every day. And it's like, that's the, that's the biggest, man, we could, that's the thing that I, I, I say to him blue in the face now, because again, I do work in the fitness space and I do help people change their lives physically. And, and everybody wants to believe that going to the gym is the secret to their, you know, is the answer to, to what they what are the solution to what they're trying to accomplish. But it's all those other things. It's the sleep, the water and the diet. Like if you just do those things, if you just eat consistently, sleep seven, eight hours a night and drink, you know, whatever, hundred ounces of water a day, you will be surprised at not only how drastic the change will be, how fast it'll happen, you know? Yeah, and so, I'll, I'll tell you, one, one of the other misconceptions that people have is that prison food is some kind of slop. I will tell you the, the institutions that I worked at, the food was amazing. And I actually asked, I, I asked one of the, the, the uh, lieutenants about it that I worked with. And they said, oh, yeah, the state of Wisconsin, if you're doing time, you go to Wisconsin because that's where the good grub is. Because the, the whole the whole idea was that if the inmates are fat and happy, they're less likely to riot. So you had a lot of corpulent uh, residents of your institution. But you know who else eats those meals were the COs. And yeah. they were also rather on the large side, some of the largest human beings that I have ever worked with. Yeah. Uh, but the guys who fed themselves out of the commissary, who did more like what you were talking about, it was like, yep, they had their pack of rice and their can of tuna for every meal. Those were the guys that would spend, you know, their entire time outside just slamming the weights. Yeah. Um, now, I also want to tell you this. This was a fun story on my part because you were a baller before you went in. Uh, did you get to play ball in prison? Did you get to go down to the gym and shoot? Loved it. Yeah, Loved yeah. So, it. so I was excited my first day running, running the gym because I wanted to see some p-ball, man. I wanted to see some guys who'd been at it for a while. And I was so disappointed. Holy cow. It was like the third grade girls, man. It was terrible. I was like beating my head against the desk. They're crying foul. I'm just like, what the hell is this? Every movie I ever saw when they go into like they're playing ball, guys are dunking on each other and like, you know, like doing moves. Man, they had none of that. None of it at all. That's because you were in Wisconsin, bro. I I know. It's like we, we had to trade decent basketball for a good meal, I guess. Seriously, that's <laughs> we, had, we actually had some great, dude, we had great basketball where I was at. I mean, just kids that, you know, it's just a shame to see you in prison. Like, you know, like what you see on the movies is, is what basketball in prison is like in New York anyway. Because a lot of, those kids, <laughs> a lot of those kids are from New York City. Yeah, you know, they, yeah. They grow up on the play, playground. And like me, I'm from upstate New York. I'm not from the city. So like that was a different style of ball. Like I play like, you know, I, I don't want to. I play traditional basketball, whereas they play city ball, and it's yeah. it's just it's just different. And I, mind you, I was good. You know, I I was good at my game, but but that that was a different game, and they would make fun of me for it. But then I'd go out there, I'd I'd go out there and torch them though. Like I, you know, it, it was just a different. Those guys, a lot of times, they can't shoot. You know, yeah. they're all dribble, all get to the hole. And here I was, I'd come down and you give me any space, I'd pull up, you know, any place. And they hated it. They hated yeah. it. You make fun of me. They, they used to say I play white boy ball. But it's like, okay, <laughs> cool. Like, but you can't stop it, though, you know? Yeah, I'm winning. I'm winning. <laughs> so, Mark, let me ask you a question. So, we've kind of talked about prison. We've talked about, like, kind of, you know, what sent you there and stuff like that. 
you have a job now working for what I think is one of the best companies in the world. The corporate culture there is incredible. Uh, you know, First Form is doing incredible things, not just in the in the supplement world, but I'd say the making people better world. How did you end up from getting out of prison to where you are right now? Um, so I, uh, I did mention earlier, I, I, I had like this, this vision, this plan, which I'm, I'm, I'm very big on like writing down your goals and, you know, law of attraction and all that, all that stuff. I, I, I'm a believer. Um, but I did, I, I wrote down in, in detail what I wanted to do when I came home and it, and it, and I also, since I was a kid, I always said, I mean, I never want to work for anybody. So it's, 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 uh, it, it shocked all of my family when I like chose to come out here and work for this, this company. But, um, but my plan coming home was to get my personal training certification and open up a gym and train people and help people. And all, I, I actually, even before I came to that conclusion, I, all I knew is that I wanted to help people. Like when you change your life the way that I did, you feel this overwhelming sense of like, not only gratitude, but I almost feel like I owe. Like, I feel like I owe, like I don't deserve the chance that I got. Like my, my older brother died. I have multiple friends that are in prison for the rest of their life. Like, I wonder all the time, man, why me? You know, like, how did I skate past? How did I get by? I, I certainly could either be dead or in prison for the rest of my life right now. So how did I get here? And, and so it makes me feel like I, oh, and I feel, um, I feel that looming on me all the time, but it started before I came home and I said, you know what, I'm going to dedicate my life to just giving back, to just contributing in any way that I can. I just want to help people. And, and the only reason I chose the fitness industry, this is kind of sad, funny, whatever, is because I had the lowest barrier to entry. Like, that's it. Like, I'm like, wait, all you got to do is pass a test and now you're a personal trainer. Cool. Like I can, I've never failed the test in my life. I was, I, so I, I knew I'd be all right. So I started studying for the ACE personal training uh, certification in prison. I couldn't take the test in there only because you have to be CPR AED certified and, and you can't sign up for that inside. So I, I had a family member buy me the book and I read the book cover to cover over and over and over again. Um, and when I came home, I had nothing like this is another thing that I, I try to put into perspective for some people too. like some people feel like they don't have anything like no, 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 no. Like I didn't have anything. Everything got confiscated, all my money, all my property, everything. I didn't have underwear to wear. I didn't have socks. I didn't have I had nothing, you know, and I, I, I got to jump in and just I have to reiterate folks listening at home. This is not an exaggeration. I used to actually that was one of my duties as an officer was I got to open the garage door and say goodbye when somebody got let out. And it was literally like, here's your envelope. You got the clothes on your back. Goodbye. That's it. And Not sometimes there'd be a car waiting. Sometimes there wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so I, I got out and I had a car waiting in it. And, 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 you know, fortunately I have amazing foster parents. You know, I got lucky. Not everybody has a good experience in the foster system, but my foster parents were incredible people. I still, I call them my parents to this day. Um, but I got out. And I had no property, no nothing, no job and no money. And so I got a part-time job, um, one of the only jobs I've ever had in my life. And uh, I was stocking shelves overnight at a grocery store. And it was, dude, that was one of the most difficult things ever to stay awake overnight. Is I don't know how people do it. Like there's not enough caffeine in the world. Um, but anyway, I, I worked just long enough to save up a little bit of money, um, just a couple, really honestly, a couple of weeks. And I spent everything I had on a set on, on a set of used dumbbells, kettlebells, and a rower off Facebook Marketplace. And, and uh, you know, oh, I skipped a step, but I did take my personal training certification. My, my, my family paid for that. Um, I went in and took the test. I passed it. So now I spent everything I had on this, on this used equipment, and I had nowhere to train anybody. And I had no experience, no nothing. And so I, I built some relationships in, in town working for the grocery store and being at the, the local gym. Um, and this out of nowhere, man, this is why I believe in like the law of attraction and stuff like that. This lady messages me on Facebook and says, hey, I heard you're looking for a place to train your clients. And I'm like, first of all, I haven't even told that many people that I'm trying to do this. 
And second of all, who are you? You know, I've never, I've never heard of this lady, never met her before in my life. She's like, I think I have a space that, that could work. You know, it's not great, but whatever. Not great was like a understatement of the year. I show up and it's literally, this lady used it as a conference room. So, I mean, it's like 150 square feet, maybe if that, okay? The size of a lot of people's kitchen, maybe. And I'm like, you know, well, what the fuck else am I going to do? You know, the only other option was work at this gym and I didn't want to work there. They charge people too much, you know, for too little. And I just, I was all about really helping these people, not just the transaction. And so um, I did, I went for it. And I, and I, and, and she was so kind. She told me, listen, I know you don't have any clients. So you know what, just pay me commission. Like if you, that way, if you don't make any money, you don't owe me anything. And it, I mean, it was, dream. <laughs> it was a blessing. Like, how the hell did this happen? Like, and I just was dumbfounded, but you know what? I had my shot. So I, I started networking. I started, you know, uh, I had two old ladies from the gym that I worked out at that were like, okay, I'll give you a shot. And I started with these two old ladies in this little tiny, it wasn't a fitness studio. It was a conference room where my rower and my used stuff from Facebook marketplace was. And dude, if I would show up there as a client, I would be embarrassed to work out there. And, <laughs> and they still, they came, but I poured everything into them. Like I had a friend early on that he owns a successful gym in Boston. And he told me, you got to treat every client like they're your only client, like tie your success to their success. And if you do that, then you'll, you'll win. And so that's what I did. I, I treated every, I, I met my clients at the grocery store. I went shopping with them. I did whatever I had to do. I did it. And uh, word of mouth, you know, just spread um, within. So from going to the conference room to eight months later, I had a 3,500 square foot space, um, you know, fully outfitted, uh, kind of like a functional training space. So like all the typical stuff, rowers, skiers, uh, rogue echo bikes, et cetera, pull up bars, rig. I, I had a space for myself. I had a full book and I, and I found, um, this, this, I, I was on social media, which I was brand new to, never used it before. And I saw an ad for the supplement company. And now my, my clients, they always asked me about supplements and, um, and I, I never, I refused to recommend any supplements to people. It's not because I didn't use them. I use supplements since I was 13, you know, yeah. always drank protein powder, et cetera. But I, I, I valued their trust so much that I just couldn't take a chance. Like there wasn't a single product on the market that I felt confident recommending to soccer mom Susie that she wouldn't have a bad experience with. Like I didn't want her to drink a shake that I recommended and be like, this is disgusting. I just wasted my money. Cause that, that, that diminishes your trust, right? So I valued my client's trust too much and I, I refused to recommend supplements. And so I've seen this ad and I bought the post-workout stack, which is just their protein shake and their post-workout carbohydrate. It was a chocolate milkshake flavor. I wouldn't try any other flavor because I'm like, man, you, you know, the chocolate's going to be the safest flavor. So I buy it. And I, and I remember the day I tried it. I, I, you know, it was the best tasting protein shake I ever had in my fucking life. I'm like, dude, is there even protein in here? You know? And, uh, and uh, it was just a great product. I mean, you drank it, it, it helped you recover so much faster. Like I remember 20 minutes later, I said to my, my, my sister-in-law at the time, I said, man, I feel like I didn't even work out, you know, like, holy shit, you know, what's in, what's in this stuff. Um, and so I found out that they had like an ambassador program that, you know, uh, other trainers and coaches and fitness professionals could apply for to recommend these supplements and make a commission. And, um, and so I applied for it and I found Andy Frisella. And uh, he's the owner of the company. He had a podcast at the time that was called the MFCEO Project, number one business podcast in the in the world. And um, and I started listening to this podcast, and this guy was just fucking electric. Like, I mean, and, and he just he taught such practical business lessons. Like, I do, mind you, I just came home from prison. I have no business experience. I have no experience as a personal trainer, and I just went from absolutely nothing to making five figures a month in eight months. And it, I swear to God, it was because I was listening to this fucking podcast. I swear. He would talk about stuff. I'd listen. I'd do it. And it worked. And then he talked and I'd listen and, and I'd do it and it worked. And so now I find this company and he owns it, you know, and it was like, okay. <laughs> so, so fast forward a little bit. I did really well as like one of their reps, right? I, I just stood out. 
they, 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 I won this award. They fly me out to St. Louis, which is where they're based. And uh, they just want to recognize me and stuff. And, and you hear, I used to hear them talk about things like, you know, our mission is to help as many people as possible. And they have this thing where it's like, replace the word sell with the word help. So stop thinking, how can I sell this person a product and start thinking, how can I help this person reach, you know, solve their problem. And, um, and you hear that stuff and objectively you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just want me to sell some supplements, right? Like, you know, like, and I'm from New York. So I'm like, listen, you can just cut to the chase, you know, like stop, stop trying to smooth me. But when I flew out here and Bobby can probably attest to this, you know, I was like, fuck man, these guys are serious. Like they're like, they're serious. Like, yeah, they're, they're building a business, but also they're really committed to that mission. They're really committed to helping people. Like, you, you know, people can call up here and they don't even have to be a fucking customer and say, Hey man, I want to start my journey today. They'll give them a registered dietitian That'll do anything that they have to do to help them reach their goals. They don't have to buy a product. They don't have to buy anything. So when I saw that, I was the only person that I had met in my life up until that point that was genuinely committed to a life of service. Like I, I had never met anybody like that. So I was the only, I didn't think, I, I refused to believe that there was other people that said, you know what? I don't fucking care about the money. I just want to give my life to helping people. Um, but that's where I was at before I knew about First Form. But when I met them, I'm like, fuck, these guys are, uh, these guys are like that too. At least Andy, right? Andy is like that. Everything that he does is, is, is in an effort to help people, to make a positive impact, whether you agree or disagree, like or don't like. So when I saw that, my exact thought process was like, fuck, man, this guy's committed to the same mission that I am, except he's a lot further along. He's got a lot more resources. He's got a lot more access to a lot more people. If I submit my ego and, you know, and, and, and the opportunity to say, hey, I did it on my own and I just come and I work with this guy. I'll have a much bigger impact. And, and that was it. That was the only thought process I had because they gave me an opportunity to come out here and work. And I told them, yeah, dude, fuck yeah, I'll take it. And they were like, no, 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 dude, you got a gym back home. Like you got these businesses, like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, dude, I don't care about any of that stuff. Like I'll close it down today. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'll come out. I'll be here on Monday. You know, like that was the thought process. And I walked away from making five figures a month and came into an entry-level base salary I'm making nothing. Okay. Making nothing. My, this, let me put it in perspective. When I moved to St. Louis, my apartment was so shitty that the first time my mom came to visit me, she walked in and cried. She's like, Mark, you're not in prison anymore. Well, you got to get this place. You know, she, she literally cried. Okay. So I walk away from making five figures a month, making nothing. All right. And, and just because the opportunity to have a bigger impact was there. Um, so that's kind of how I got to where I'm at now. And, and, and the rest is kind of history, you know, internally I am, um, I'm a high level employee here, um, at this point. Nice. I love to hear it. What piece of advice would you give to people, uh, like following their own dreams? Cause obviously like you've made some shit happen and you started from a place that a lot of people don't have to start from, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like you came from privilege. Your yep. dad didn't give you a job. You didn't like you started from when people say they started from the bottom, you were literally like coming out of prison mm -hmm. at the bottom. What would be like the number one thing you would tell people? Man, this is my, this is, this is it, man. People don't get it. They don't get it until they get it. But my number one piece of advice is, is just don't waste any days. Like, like when I, when I used to sit in prison, <clears throat> I had this, like, I don't know if you call it a revelation, an epiphany, a thought, whatever, light bulb moment where you're in prison and you're looking at society from an objective point of view. It's for the first time ever. You get to look at society and observe how people live. And, and I used to daydream about what I would do if I could. Like, man, if I were free, this is what I would do today. Like, and I had all these goals and these aspirations and things I wanted to do. I wanted to do them so bad. I would just fantasize about it, but I couldn't do it because I literally didn't have the freedom or the opportunity. And, and then I look at society and people like work with a sense of urgency, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday rolls around and they're like, eh, you know, I'm getting tired. And then Saturday and Sunday, and like this thing called the weekend that they just like relax. And, and, I, and I would say, man, what I would do 
to, to, to have the opportunity you have right now to go and do whatever the fuck I want, but you're sitting on the couch watching friends, you know? And, 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 and I just, it just, it just occurred to me, like, like I, I used to take my life for granted. I used to take freedom for granted. I used to take time for granted. But when you've, when you've lost those things, you, you, you have a different perspective. And so when I came home, I had that perspective and nobody else did. This is my greatest competitive advantage is that I don't waste any days. There is no distinction between Tuesday and Saturday for me. There's no, you, you, you come here, Bobby, on a Sunday, guess where I'm going to be? Right in this fucking chair, you know, or, or, or wherever, in the gym or whatever. I'm going to be working towards my goals. Every single day is an opportunity for you to get closer to where you want to be in life. And I lost five and a half years. I'm not going to sit around wasting any more days. Like not a single day am I going to waste. And when I first, the first person I told that I'd been in prison was actually a person that worked here. I called her and I, cause I was terrified that if I said it publicly that they were going to kick me out of their program. So I said, Hey, I got to tell you something, whatever I'm talking to her. I'm about a year being home at this point. And I said, Hey man, this is the situation. I've been in prison. I want to talk about it publicly and share my story. Um, and I just don't want to like drop it on you guys and surprise. I want you to find out some other way. So the first question she asked me was, Mark, how the fuck did you accomplish everything that you've accomplished in such a short amount of time? That's the first thing she said. And I said, well, I didn't know how to answer. This is how I came to this. I said, Paula, I just don't waste any days. I just don't waste any days. Every single day I wake up and I, and I think about where do I want to be? And I ask myself one question. I say, what can I do today? What can I do today? Like literally, what can I do today? Because there's a lot of things that I need to do between here and there. So, but what can I do today? That's the only thing that matters. Um, and so now that has evolved that same question. I used to be obsessed with that question. What can I do today? What can I do? That question has evolved. And I tell people, man, what if today was your only shot? Like, what if your entire, what if your end goal from a health and fitness standpoint depended on how you showed up in your workout today or how you adhered to your diet today? What if your end goal from a career standpoint depended on how you showed up at work today. Like that's how I think. And that's how I have thought since I came home from prison. And so that would be my number one piece of advice is whatever you can do, whether you manipulate your own environment, there's something called stimulus control where you set sticky notes around all the time, remind yourself of what you need to be reminded of. You got to do whatever you need to do in order to keep that at the forefront of your mind. What if today was my only shot? And if you do that, Ed Milet talks about this. He said, life, they think there's this huge gap between the ultra successful and the, and the, and the average. And he said, there's not. Life is not a game of, of feet. It's a game of inches. But every single day you gain an inch on that, on that person that watches friends on fucking Saturday, you know, and watches the game on Sunday and, and, and then goes back to work and then does a half day on Friday. Every single day, that's a fucking inch and an inch and an inch and an inch. And you'd be surprised at how much distance you can create between you and everybody else in a year if you don't waste any days. First of all, I I love your story. I don't know what you got against Friends. It's my favorite show of all time. Ah! Let's keep that. <laughs> okay. Minimum, all right. Okay. No, no, no. But I, I absolutely love that because Joe and I always preach that society lives this Monday to Friday life. And they hate their Monday to Friday so much that then Saturday and Sunday, they treat themselves like an amusement park mm -hmm. and just check out completely and do nothing. So I'm going to tell you straight up, I'm stealing your whole thing uh, here. I, so just, I also want to point out that if you gain an inch every day for 365 days, that's 30 feet by the end of the year. So it's not a small exactly. distance. Do you know another <laughs> thing though that I think about guys and maybe, I mean, I'm sure you guys can, can relate because you guys are, are ambitious, you know, just purpose-driven people, but it's like, what the fuck else are we doing here? If not trying to accomplish something like that's, that's what I struggle with. Like, I don't need days off from being a monster. I don't need days off from being successful. I don't understand what else is the, what's the point? Like, what, what are we doing here? Like, if, if, if not trying to make an impact on the world of the people around us, like I, I just, I just struggle with that. I really do. And, and it causes some friction sometimes because people are trying to, you know, share their guts with me and I just can't relate. I don't understand, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Man, listen, 
I love it. And I want to tell you, you know, face to face, um, I've got such a deep respect for you, uh, especially now, you know, talking to you and stuff like that. Uh, the, the biggest reason is the kindness you have, you know, for other people. Um, there are certain people that I've had, you know, I've told Joe the opportunity to visit First Form a few times. And there are, I mean, I've had some positive interactions with people, but you've been one of the kindest people that I've ever met. So um, deep respect for that. And also really everything you've had to overcome because I'm sick and tired, frankly, of people on the internet talking about how their parents bought them the wrong car when they were fucking 16. And they, like just stupid yeah. things they've had to overcome. So to, to, to kind of hear your story and learn about you, it's, it's, you're a remarkable human. Man, I appreciate it, you know, and I, and I, and I hope, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just hope I shared some, some stuff that reaches people that, that, that clicks with people. Um, you know, and I really appreciate, you know, you, Bobby, obviously being in my life, but also you and Joe uh, having me on the show. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I, like I said to you when you when you reached out to me on Instagram, it's like, hey, man, whatever I can do to help, you know, and hopefully this this was helpful. Yeah, man, and keep, you know, the other thing I'd say is just keep fucking winning. It's pretty incredible what you're doing, and I'm like, I'm certainly a fan, so. I never feel like I'm winning, though. That's the problem. I don't know if you guys feel that way, but, like, dude, I always, every single day I go home and I'm You know like, what? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm too busy hustling to feel like I'm winning. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, man, you guys have been great, though. Seriously. And, and Joe, man, it's been an awesome uh, pleasure. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, we'll get the chance to do it in person one of these days. Yeah. Yes, yeah. sir. Because you're the last of a dying breed.